the Totally Football Show, Continental Edition. In today's Euro Stories, got a dammerung as Bayern get another hammering. Serie A, the Black Friday fallout and Lazio's title chances. Spain, a hat-trick at 38, you must be joking. And France, Marseille march on and why the second coming of that Valbuena tape could see Benzema go down. All that and more in today's Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, continental-minded listener, in for your pleasure today. We've got your Alvaro Romeo. Hello. We've got a James Huncastle. Hello. Also here, Rathel Hönigstein. Hi, James. I'm going to be treating this podcast as if it was my own. <laughs> ah, yes. And also <laughs> Julian Laurent. Hello. I'll do the same. Very good. Well, welcome, friends. And uh, hey, Jules, I know you've got some saucy revelations to bring us later on about the Valbuena sex tape. Yes. Topically enough. Why is that back in the headlines? Because uh, we've had a court decision today about it. Mm-hmm. And Karim Benzema and his lawyers were hoping that the case would be thrown out. Wow. But it's not going to be. So we would have a trial soon. That's a shame because I know you hate going back over the details of that sex tape and what you saw in it and stuff. <laughs> but I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see maybe later on. Any, any other football stuff that we should be knowing about from France? Yes. Andre Villas-Boas and Marseille make it six wins out of six. Incredible. Yeah. Make their second place in the table even stronger. Yes. And who knows, maybe, maybe um, challenge to PSG's title, hope. Yeah, they're only five points behind. Well, we'll chat about that later on. Rafa, what are the big headlines from the Bundesliga? Well, it was a momentous weekend in the Bundesliga with Bayern losing their second game in a row away to Borussia Mönchengladbach. The leaders felt like really a big, big result for all sorts of reasons. Gladbach stayed top. Leipzig are going strong. Dortmund are back. And Bayern is seven points adrift. In Italy, James, all sorts of stuff. Crazy newspaper headlines, crazy action at the Stadio Olimpico. Indeed. And we see Juventus lose for the first time against a Lazio side, which has won seven games in a row and is putting itself into the conversation to be a title challenger as well because they're only three points from Juventus, five points from Inter um, at this moment in time. Inter dropped points but actually managed to gain on Juventus as well in the Friday night game uh, against Roma. And uh, we saw some brilliant games over the weekend. Mm -hmm. You think of Atalanta-Verona as well. Really good kind of uh, aperitivo, if you like, ahead of... Uh, this weekend's Champions League action. And a moose-bouche, of course, Champions League action dominated by one game as Inter Mm -hmm. host Barcelona. And Alvaro, what a way for Barcelona to prepare for it. That incredible match against Mallorca. Definitely. I mean, there was an aperitivo, which was Real Madrid winning first at the beginning on Saturday morning. And then Barcelona had to do the homework and win again because otherwise Real Madrid was going to top the table and they did it in a, an incredible fashion with Lionel Messi scoring a hat-trick again uh, surpassing Cristiano Ronaldo's record of hat-tricks in Spain and then Luis Suarez scoring a backhill goal that uh, has to be one of the um, probably nicest backhills uh, you will you will see this season and maybe over the next 10 years yeah. and uh, the final word obviously goes to Joaquin uh, a guy who at the age of 38 uh, managed to be the oldest hat-trick scorer in La Liga history. Incredible. He yes. was on the field against David Seaman in the 2002 World Cup? Precisely. <laughs> when you said that, I thought David Seaman was still playing and has been playing in La Liga for the yeah, last that's 15 right. years. It's not Serie A, <laughs> Not Serie A, with Goran Pandev still one of the goals of the weekend. We're well, talking about David Seaman. I don't mm. know if you've seen that story in The Athletic. 
mm-hmm. uh, on Monday where he would have been part of the Harry's Heroes TV program whereby Harry Redknapp trains uh, sort of a dirty dozen of former players and I think they're taking on a Germany eleven. But one of the test games uh, to see what kind of shape they're in was supposed to be against the nudist eleven, and that's when uh, Seaman pulled out. But he wouldn't have to be nude himself. He just objected yeah, to playing yeah, against, against yeah. people. To be fair, it would be disconcerting, wouldn't it? I mean, there'd be all sorts of tackles flying around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Into Barcelona. That's the big one, Jules. It is. Yeah. You're not going to be with us on the Gold Show when we do this, are you? What? Unfortunately, no, I'm at Chelsea Lille, the game of the night, really. Game of Tuesday the night. Nights. Oh, my God. Now, I'm French people are so desperate for me to commentate, so yeah. Okay. But everyone else can enjoy Inter taking on Barcelona. Basically, in that group, Barcelona are already through. Dortmund and Inter are level on seven points. Inter have the better head-to-head, so Inter need to at least match Dortmund's result. The problem being that Dortmund are going to be facing Slavia Prague while Inter take on this Barcelona team. The Messi-less Barcelona side, because okay. Messi's not on the plane. Is he definitely not travelling? Yeah, definitely, he's not in yeah. the squad. Yeah. Okay. So. Be like a B team, basically. Almost oh, come on. Team. Yeah, you know it. And still, you probably won't qualify, Inter. <laughs> right. Which is interesting, because a lot of the talk this weekend was about the fact that, boom, finally the front three have started to click. Suarez, Messi and Griezmann. Yes, Lionel Messi scored the hat-trick, as I said before, and uh, Barcelona seemed to gel together for the first time in a long time. I mean, they played really well. Uh, I would say that uh, they haven't played that well the first half since the game against Valencia back in August. Then uh, Antoine Griezmann scored the goal. The assist was uh, by Marc-André Ter Stegen, which is uh, the second mm. assist that he gives this season. Really? Incredibly for a goalkeeper, yeah. And uh, Lionel Messi then, he scored this hat-trick that uh, we take as granted because uh, he has scored so many and he always scores that goal from the edge of the box, uh, what we call the penalty of Lionel Messi. Mm. He did it three times uh, this weekend, pretty much twice. And then the, the last goal was also like uh, this type of uh, very, very accurate shot. Eh, but the big goal in there was the Luis Suárez one. Uy, qué buena para el Paralejón dentro del área. Busca Suárez, Suárez de tacón. ¡Qué golazo! Pero lo que acaba de hacer el uruguayo. ¡Qué registro! ¡Qué toque! ¡Qué recurso! ¡Pura magia! He managed to backheel after Barcelona did a fantastic passing move. Yeah. And uh, he did it in a, in a very intentional way. It wasn't just a casual backheel that goes in goal. I mean, he prepared his body for that. Uh, he obviously put the the body position in the right place and uh, it was a thunderous like a thunderbolt uh, back hill yeah. the, the goalkeeper had nothing. yeah he pretty much uh, they called it the Rabona back hill I, think, mm. I don't think that, that is accurate but he definitely hit the floor a little bit so the ball flied yeah, a little that's bit that's how he lifts it right yeah, okay. uh, like Mesut Ozil Mesut Ozil does that okay well yeah but usually did, going, yeah, going going forward, forward. he'd have to play to do it yeah, yeah you, you have to be. You know, it's funny because they call that the Rabona back here, but the, the people have uh, cited uh, a goal by Patrick Clivert from yeah. uh, a Barcelona team of yesteryear, where he actually literally does a Rabona back here. He puts, you know, he does it across his standing leg back here. Yeah, that, that is the the reminiscence of uh, Luis Suarez's goal and mm. uh, the closest I've ever seen to that type of goal. Obviously, Patrick Clivert was in many ways a player with such an elasticity that could do that very naturally. I think that Luis Suarez does it. Uh, because he trains a lot and, uh, and he, he, he managed to score a goal that brought uh, Barcelona fans back to having fun, which is something that uh, 
was lost this season. I mean, the games against Leganés, the games against Slavia Praga, Dortmund were really bad performances. And mm. before, for the Barcelona fan, it was like, all right, there is a football on television, there is my team playing a different football, or they try to play a different football. And in many games that maybe they weren't very important worldwide, but definitely for whoever goes to come now, like a 6-1 victory against Celta when Messi took a penalty like Johan Cruyff passing it to Luis Suárez. In games like this, the supporters were having something else than a heavy scoreline. They were having some good fun. Right. And Barcelona, this weekend, managed to get back that, to amuse the crowd for the first time in a long time. Poor things. I feel bad for those Barcelona fans, starved of enjoyment. Uh, what kind of team, then, are they going to bring to San Siro? Well, Ernesto Valverde on Saturday, he admitted that there will be few changes, but he didn't say that Lionel Messi wasn't going to play. Uh-huh. We, we know it now. We got to know that on Monday. Who else is not playing? So Jordi Alba is out with an injury. Semedo is out with an injury as well. I don't think that he's playing. Mm-hmm. Mm, probably there will be some changes. The likes of Ricky Puch, which is the, they call him the jewel, the gem of the academy, uh, may have some minutes. It's okay. A, Ricky Puch. Ricky Puch, a really good midfielder, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Other than that, uh, there are few players in that squad that are not playing quality minutes. The likes of Alenia, mm-hmm. uh, Perhaps Ansu Fati is one of those players as well, so they may have a chance against Inter Milan. And now to Barcelona, the question is, will they play a very different team to the one that has been playing over the last three weeks and say goodbye to a winning run? Or will they try to prolong this winning run ahead of two key games that they have? One of them is in Real Arena against Real Sociedad next weekend. And then the next game is El Clásico against wow. Real Madrid. So, well, so he, that's, that's wh- the thing, is that mm. the Clásico is coming up. There's one question that I wanted to ask Alvaro about Ansu Fati. Has he signed a new contract? Yes, new contract. His release clause is now 170 million okay. euro. And yeah, he already had a, a really big release clause. It was 100 million. And yeah, there is not much more to say. I mean, the player is not uh, actually playing a lot now. He had an injury. He mm. didn't go to the under-17 World Cup because Barcelona wanted to keep him. Yeah. But let's say that the Ansu Fati effect is a little bit watered down now. Right. In September, he seemed to be someone capable of challenging Griezmann and Dembélé. And at the minute, that seems a little bit difficult. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Inter, meanwhile, coming into this game... Uh, fresh from a goalless draw, held goalless for the first time this season, actually. Yeah. This was at home to Roma on Friday night. Yeah, I was there. It was oh. uh, an excellent uh, defensive display, I would say, from both sides. Mm. Uh, I mean, they had uh, the better chances to, to win the game, um, but a lot of them actually came from uh, Roma mistakes. Um, I think if you look back, uh, Lukaku, uh, Vicino, Brozovic all had very presentable chances or put on a plate for them uh, by Roma themselves, Lautaro had a great duel um, with Gianluca Mancini and, uh, and Chris Smalling and, uh, and Romelu Lukaku as well. I think it was interesting, actually, for the first half hour to see a team like Roma cause into more problems than I think any team has caused into all season. They pinned into back into their own half, into couldn't get out. Um, and then gradually, um, once uh, a Roma side without Edin Dzeko and with Nicolo Zaniolo playing up front no longer kind of had that reference point up front. The game kind of started to turn, but it was one of those kind of classic, enjoyable nil-nils where you see the kind of artistry that there is in in defending. But Inter, it's quite curious hearing what Conte had to say after the game. You know, He was saying, look, Antonio Mirante, the Roma goalkeeper, was their best player. Don't read too much into this, uh, this goalless draw. Um, we'll need a big stick 
against this wolf that is Barcelona. Um, it was quite funny when he said that. We were in the press room and everyone, all the Italians were like, no, no, Antonio, basta. Because um, they thought some animal rights people would get in touch with him about that. Um, but Inter have got problems in midfield because ultimately Boja Verero is playing there. Vecino is playing there. It's a very different midfield from the one that played so well in Barcelona at Camp Nou when they had Stefano Sensi and Nicolò Barello who's the man of the match that night. Irrespective of how well Inter performed at the Camp Nou, the fact is that was a very different team, not only in its midfield competition, but the player up front with Lautaro that night was Alexis Sanchez. Right. Um, and he, he obviously won't be there in the meantime. This this partnership between Lukaku and, and Lautaro has flourished. But I think a lot of people would be confident about Inter's ability to get a result, having seen the squad Barcelona have put out, knowing that the Clásico is coming up and going off the back of that performance at Camp Nou. But as I say, that midfield's no longer there. Um, that that they had back then and this is Inter um, and we remember last season for example they need Barcelona to do them a favour against Spurs and stop Spurs from winning Barcelona did them that favour and yet Inter lost or didn't get the result that they needed against PSV at San Siro mm. so again it's a real measure of how far mentally this team has come right. under Antonio Conte The other game in this group of course is, is Dortmund are they home or away with Slavia Prague? They're home Right, where, where Slavia could cause problems. They, they held Barcelona goalless at the uh, Camp Nou, and they also very nearly came away with a win at San Siro. How confident are Dortmund of getting the result and getting the other result? Well, Lucien Favre made the point that no one talks about Slavia Prague in this group, but of course they have shown themselves to be quite difficult to play against uh, with their pressing style. They They don't play like underdogs. They really take the game to you, and they could have had more points with a bit more luck and perhaps... Um, fatigue not coming in towards later stages of the game. So Dortmund are are confident, of course, being at home and, and being on an upward trajectory. Uh, they've had one of the best performances of the season on Saturday, beating Fortuna 5-0. And for once, they were playing this beautiful football combined, married with this aggression and, and sort of active pressing, which has been missing from Lucien Favre's game for most of the time. It's interesting to know, and I think eventually we'll find out, whether this is a change that has been made because the team wants it or because he himself has maybe seen that you know Dortmund being passive and sort of waiting for things to happen is not something that works well for a team. It's one of the reasons, I think, why we've often seen Dortmund sort of sleepwalk through first halves and don't really get into it. But this was a perfect performance. Uh, Royce was really on it. Um, he'd had a couple of indifference performances, but he was outstanding, as was Jaden Sancho again. Sancho with a brace. Sancho with a brace. Royce with a brace. Um, they wore this beautiful special edition all-black shirt. Yeah, interesting. And Clive Hanna actually asking about this. Dortmund wearing an all-black uh, kit. And also Real Madrid sporting a lime green affair, which maybe Alvaro can tell us about later on. But this was in commemoration of a pit closing. Yeah, I think it was the last pit to close in the city uh, of Dortmund, which is now sort of completely post-industrial. I think they only had about 9,000 shirts and they all sold out within three hours apparently right but the bigger more important point is that this was very much a we are back performance after that very spirited 2-1 win at Hertha when it went down to 10 men for most of the most of the game uh, this was a complete complete performance and in the sense of the control that they had the football that they played and left everyone feeling much happier and and even Sancho I think who has perhaps wrongly been portrayed as this troublemaker who wants to maybe get out of the club and is falling out with everyone. Um, it is true that he's had one or two discretions, minor indiscretions, I should say. 
but it's not nearly as bad as it has been written about and Dortmund are very happy to keep him at least until the summer. They of course expect him to leave then but there's no suggestion that you know the relationship is broken down and he must now be sold or anything like that. Okay. Well, it's all playing out this drama Tuesday night and you can follow it all in the Gold Show on BT Sport. Other Champions League listener? Why, sure, there are eight places already taken in the last 16, but eight still to be filled. Among the other key games, RB Salzburg taking on Liverpool. Wow, permutations. Let's just say that Liverpool need a point. Is that right, James? Liverpool will qualify if they avoid defeat, James. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got, in the same group, Napoli-Genk. Yes. Yes. Napoli will qualify if they draw or win. Right. Or if Salzburg do not beat Liverpool. Crikey. What's the position now with Ancelotti? How long do you expect to see him there on the Napoli bench? Well, initially it looked like the intention was to uh, have Ancelotti be the coach until the end of the season. But in the last kind of few hours, really, it's emerged that Napoli have had contact, made contact with Rino Gattuso um, about uh, potentially taking over. And there is a growing sense that whatever the result against Genk, a change will be made. And Ancelotti... Usually, he's quick to kind of shut these rumours down, but in his press conference today, he was saying, look, a manager's bags are always packed. Um, and was he seemed pretty open to the idea that, you know, come, was it Wednesday, Thursday morning, he might no longer be the Napoli manager. It's a huge jump, though, to go from him to Rino Gattuso. Yeah, different styles. Eddie Rehau is another name that's been mentioned. Yeah, and I suppose, um, I mean, this is kind of a mischaracterization of uh, of Gattuso. There, there's this sense that he is a disciplinarian, no nonsense, um, and there's a feeling that maybe that is what this very talented Napoli squad um, actually needs. They need someone to set rules, to get up in their grill, um, so to speak. Although I, I personally feel that Gattuso has always been quite a amenable um, person at least off the pitch so in, in in that respect it's not a complete leap um although you know i would say even you know compared with the the milan side that gattuso had and did pretty well with they only finished a point outside the champions league places last year this is the most talented side he'll have ever coached and one that needs organizing defensively but doesn't have anyone else aside from allen who can kind of screen that defense so it'll be mm. we'll have to see if he were to step in for Ancelotti what he does with that team well uh, a tempestuous time more more seismic shocks awaiting then perhaps in the shadow of Vesuvius anyway uh, other excitements in the Champions League this week oh Leon looking for a place in the last 16 they're at home to Leipzig this is a special game because one is a home game and two it's very simple as if if they win they go through if they don't win whatever the score they won't go through Leipzig are already through Although for them, in the momentum they are having at the moment, they wouldn't want to lose the game. So I think they will go to Lyon to win it. And I think with a pretty strong team. Uh, but for Lyon, it's one of those European nights where it would be, it could be pretty special. And I think the, the crowd at the Group Amma Stadium will be up for it. And the players, especially Memphis Depay, who back from injury, scored two goals at the weekend against Nîmes and, and looked really strong again. He's the captain now. I think he he's really enjoying that new responsibility in many ways and he's the best player by five and if he's a bit 
selfish and individualistic. Mm-hmm. He's still by far their best player, I think. So it's one of those that you, you really want to watch because I think he's going to be a, a very open, spectacular game. Elsewhere, Chelsea's group ever so tight. Ajax on 10 points. Chelsea and Valencia both on 10. Valencia needing to match Chelsea's result if they're to go through a not Frank Lampard's side. So Chelsea are hosting Lille, third place right now in Ligue 1. Yeah, it had nothing and to play for in the Champions League because they're already out. They're out of the Europa League. They can't qualify for the Europa League. But they will go there without any pressure. They have all their young talent to showcase. Right. And that's how they see this game on Tuesday night. Very much like, let's show the rest of Europe what you can all do because that could all get you a big move somewhere. Nice. And if you look at someone like Renato Sanchez, mm-hmm. he's been doing very, very well in the last two games. Probably the best we've seen of him since before the, the Bayern move after the, the 2016 Euros, for example. So it's good and it'd be very interesting to see how him and Victor Ozyman, for example, the Nigerian striker and all those young, very, very promising players do in that kind of context, away from home. Interesting. Valencia will keep one eye on that as they themselves take on Ajax at the Amsterdam Arena, Alvaro. Yeah, and Valencia needs to match Chelsea's result to be in the next stage, which is something that they would love to because last season they were about to be in the next stage, but finally Manchester United and Juventus were the, the clubs that progressed. The problem with Valencia this time is that they have plenty of uh, players in the sidelines, uh, the likes of Thielsen, which is the Valencia's goalkeeper. Then uh, they don't have Maxi Gomez, which is the latest uh, sideline players, all together with Garay, who suspended, Condogbia, Gonzalo Guedes, Cherisev, Kangin Lee, a very promising Valencia player as well. So seven or six players that could potentially start for Valencia are not going to be there in the in the Johan Cruyff Arena. They beat Levante this weekend, Valencia, uh, with a brace from Kevin Gamero, which is uh, very good for his uh, confidence as well because he didn't start the league very well. And uh, I believe that Ajax has been better in the Champions League away from home than at home. They beat Valencia. They couldn't beat Chelsea at home. They lost against them. But then in Stamford Bridge, they were very good with nine men to the point that uh, they were about to win that game uh, when they were two men down. And uh, the game is really, really difficult for, for Valencia because normally they are a defensive-minded team and this time they really have to get at least a point uh, at Johan Cruyff Arena, if not the three points. Okay. So I think that they, they are going to play against their nature a little bit. Valencia likes to defend and counter-attack. And in this case, they will definitely have to go for it. Wow. Group C, Atalanta must win away at Shakhtar Donetsk to have any chance of taking second place at Shakhtar's expense. Otherwise, lunch is on Horncastle. <laughs> and in the Juve Atletico group, Atletico Madrid, they just need to win. Yeah. Yeah. They are hosting Lokomotiv Moscow, so they should be okay. But uh, in a rotten run of form, only one win in eight now. Yeah, eight draws in La Liga so far. Uh, and this is the one of the worst starts for Atletico de Madrid in the last years. Definitely the worst start in the Simeone's stint. They just cannot score. They played really well against Villarreal on Friday. It's not an easy easy place to go to, to El Madrigal. And they managed to create chances because uh, a month ago Atletico couldn't create chances. Therefore, they couldn't score. But this time they are doing the right thing. But uh, Alvaro Morata is not scoring goals. And uh, no one from the midfield is uh, contributing with goals as well. The top scorer of Atletico de Madrid at the minute is Álvaro Morata with five goals. Mm-hmm. It's clearly not enough. Karim Benzema, Lionel Messi, they are doing the job for Barcelona and Real Madrid. But uh, Diego Costa is not there. He's in the sidelines. Álvaro Morata 
is doing what he can. And then Diego Pablo Simeone, he is so adamant with playing with the three or four defensive midfielders. And they just cannot produce goals or uh, they are not prolific. And uh, I heard yesterday in a really, really famous uh, radio show in Spain, uh, in Cadena Cope, that uh, Atletico de Madrid apparently have a deal with Timo Werner. Uh, Rafael knows more about that, obviously. Andrea Berta, which is Atletico de Madrid's uh, sporting director, apparently managed to get uh, an agreement with the player, but uh -huh. not with the club. Okay. Because they are looking for a striker. They need more goals. But it's not about who is playing up front. Diego Costa was playing up front. Álvaro Morata is playing up front. Right. They are both strikers who can score. Atletico's problem is structural. That's why they don't score goals now. That notwithstanding, Rafa, have you heard anything about this idea of Timo Werner going to Atleti? It's a story I've seen in the Spanish press. It's not something we've seen in, in Germany, but I think the reason why no one talks about um, you know, an agreement with the club is because he is believed to have a release clause. It's never been official. Right. But uh, he only renewed his contract, I think, with the understanding that he can then control his own destiny as far as leaving the club is concerned in the summer, not not in January. That wouldn't make any sense for, for Leipzig. They really need him. And there is a lot of demand because he's been in outstanding form. He scored two more goals at the weekend to help Leipzig uh, win 3-1 against Hoffenheim, the former club of Julian Nagelsmann. And he is now on 15-14. and 14. You know, that's Lewandowski territory. Wow, um, better than Lewandowski. He hasn't scored in three now. Yeah, he's really he's really made a step up. And he's done what people were hoping him to do, which is to become a more rounded and a more reliable and more consistent striker. And again, I think you have to look at very much of the work that Nagelsmann has done. He's given him a slightly deeper position, slightly on the left, but still as a striker. And from that position, he can then attack a lot of the space in front of him. And he doesn't have to play with back to goal as he did sometimes last season, which really wasn't his game. And he's been a revelation, really, um, as, as most Leipzig players have been under, under Nagelsmann. And I, I think that there's still a good chance that we'll see him in the Premier League. Uh, I wouldn't take the Atletico story necessarily as, as given. Jose Mourinho here. Let me tell you a thing or two about special. An 18-year career at the top of football management, that's special. League titles in every country I've worked, that's special. What isn't special is winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games. That's right, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. No respect. Get over it. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18 plus on Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Manuel Neuer, der Gegenspieler. Fritz gibt den Ball frei. Rami Benzebaini. Ein, zwei, drei Schritte. Benzebaini. Tor, 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 tor. 2 Tor, tor, tor. I got that bit. That was the sound of Bundesliga leaders, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Coming from behind to beat defending champions Bayern Munich, as interpreted by uh, Mönchengladbach fan radio there, Rafa. Boy, those 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 crazy Teutons, they really enjoy their football, don't they? I mean, it, it was a fantastic um, comeback, and it was really against the run of play because Bayern had dominated for the first 60 minutes or so, and then something strange happened. It was actually Bayern's goal that turned the game against them when Ivan Perisic scored the opener, Suddenly, the crowd came into their own 
Gladbach felt, you know what, we can no longer contain this Bayern team. We're already 1-0 down, we're just going to go for it. And suddenly Bayern lost control and they conceded two really stupid goals. One was from a corner, from a header with Benzabane, who was completely unmarked in the six-yard box. Not something you see very often with Bayern. And then in the last minute of the game, Javi Martinez completely needlessly clears out Marcus Turan with a two-footed tackle. And Benzabaini, who was down to take the penalty because Breland Baller had missed last week against Freiburg, forgot in all what's happening, forgot that he was down to take the, penalty, to take the penalty and had to be reminded by the assistant goalkeeper that it was down to him to take it. So he didn't even have any time to, to think about the pressure, you know, last-minute penalty. He just stepped up and scored a beautiful and goal. And five try Steps he took, yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, just as he had done in training many times, uh, really found found a corner of the net with a fantastic Well, spot. you were mentioning Javi Martinez last week and how, how he gets exposed at the back and the, the general defensive worries for Bayern Munich. After that great start that Hansi Flick had had, they're now back to similar issues, at least in terms of results, as they had under Niko Kovac. Two defeats in a row, 2-1 on both occasions. Well, the results are, of course, hugely disappointing for Bayern, but the, the football has been very good. I mean, both performances, it's hard to know how exactly Bayern lost those games in, in, the, in terms of the chances created. They didn't really concede that many chances, but um, they've been sloppy up front and, you know, they've been playing without any of their big signings um, in this game. None of the new players started and especially at the back where there was no Hernandez, there was no Pavar, it just looked a little bit stale and frail. And then when Boateng also had to come off with an injury, Javi Martinez came on, he didn't look 100% right. And just that little bit of loss of, of sort of control and, and, and confidence and, and presence at the back really hurt them. And now they're at a point where it's very hard to see them actually winning the title. The reason why they're not out of it yet is because everyone remembers what happened last year. There were nine points adrift um, at the same time of the season and reeled Dortmund back in. The problem with, you know, with thinking this will repeat itself is that A... It's not just Dortmund. This time it's Gladbach, Dortmund and Leipzig ahead of them, plus Freiburg and Schalke and Leverkusen. I don't think the last three will necessarily win the league, but a lot of teams in front of them. And as Joshua Kimi said, the reason why Bayern were so strong in the second half of the season is because they got knocked out very early in the Champions League and thought, you know what, we just have to save the season there. This might not happen this time because Bayern are actually playing good uh, or good enough to get at least to the last eight um, You know, if they get a reasonable draw. So it looks as if this was the match day where really the league collectively sort of found out, okay, this Bayern team are beatable this year. Right. And this is really our chance. Robert Lewandowski not scoring in in three league games for now. Uh, Luckily for him, it's Spurs this midweek. Yes, um, but it's Jose Mourinho's Spurs, of Mm. course. No longer Maurizio Pochettino's falling apart Spurs from from match day two uh, of the Champions League. It'll be a strange game because there's nothing to play for. I think Mourinho's already said he's leaving Harry Kane at home. He's probably going to play some sort of second string side. Bayern will make one or two changes. They don't have a lot of options at the moment because of the injuries that we mentioned. But um, it might not be a full throttle uh, red-blooded affair at the Allianz Arena. Just to come back on Ben Sebaini. Um, ben Sebaini, who scored both goals. For scored both goals. The first one as a centre-back, although he plays, he plays left-back, on the corner you could expect. But the penalty, it was actually his first penalty of his career. He'd never taken a penalty before. And he takes one in the last minute of a game against Bayern when your team is top of the league and 
get that gap from four points to seven on Bayern and he scores it. And I thought, you know, credit to him. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Aniket asking, are Bayern moving forward with Hansi Flick for the rest of the season or are they bringing forward their plans to bring in somebody permanently? I don't think anything has changed really for Hansi Flick after these two performances. I think the plan was always to make a definite decision as far as his stay beyond the summer was concerned in January. Now, you know, if he'd won everything, it would have been very difficult for Bayern to then make the decision that he's definitely out. I think now with results being a little bit mixed, all it does really, I think, is make it a little bit easier for Bayern to sell this decision both to to the supporters, to the media, to Flick that, you know, will come down to him going back into the assistant coaching role with whoever comes in afterwards. And I think uh, there was a story this week in Build that Mauricio Pochettino has been considered not really a, a suitable candidate for Bayern. With Bayern, you never know. You know, Are they sort of saying this to preempt this before the story breaks, that he has actually turned them down and he's not available? Um, but I think it tallies with some of the other stuff we've been talking about this part, that Bayern, I think, wants somebody, A, who's German-speaking, and B, who plays maybe a slightly different type of football. And Pochettino, of course, wouldn't have ticked those boxes for them, even though on paper he's probably the best available option in European football right now. I think for what it's worth, that Thomas Tuchel's time in Paris would be over at the end of the season. Yeah. And I think he will go to Bayern Munich. The question is, uh, Jules, and that's what, what interests me is, when will that happen? Because if everything hinges on the Champions League... This it's might late, you think. go on into April or into May. And th- what do you do then? So he obviously signed a new deal towards the end of last season for an extra year. So he's, he still has another 18 months left, which is not much, to be fair. It's not like if he had another five years. But he'd be but coming I, up for a renegotiation. Yeah, it could. Well, it could. But the, I think the difficulty they have this season by playing well, I think him and some of the players in his dressing room, and we saw it again at the weekend with with Mbappe especially, I think he can feel as well as something not just right there. And I wonder if I, there would be a point where he thinks, you know what, this is this is hard work for what it should be because it shouldn't be hard work. He's got a great dressing room. This is a great club. He's got a lot of money. He's done really well, to be fair to him, to a certain extent. And I think he, he might even throw the towel himself and say, oh, do you know what, if Bayern are really keen and we can make this work, I can even leave before the end of my contract in Paris. And it could almost be more his decision than actually PSG's. Is he considered Bayern, a prime yeah, candidate Bayern, for Bayern? Bayern love him, yeah. yeah? Because okay. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge um, had already decided he was his preferred candidate before they appointed Niko Kovac. Uh, the problem was that Uli Hoeneß was still chasing after Jupankis at that point. Uh, by the time Heinkes had said no for a hundredth time and Bayern actually believed him, um, they went back to Tuchel he'd already signed for for yeah. Paris so he is probably ahead of Ten Hag at least as far as Rummenigge is concerned and Rummenigge is now the most powerful man in the job after Hoeneß has stepped down as president Alright well Bayern Munich now languishing seven points off the top everybody else among the main contenders winning Leipzig you mentioned before uh, Julian Nagelsmann beating his old club Hoffenheim 3-1 uh, Dortmund getting back to back wins for only the second time this season with that 5-0 over Fortuna Dusseldorf uh, not winning this weekend, though, Jürgen Klinsmann, although he did get a point away at Frankfurt. Yeah, but it felt like a defeat because they were 2-0 up and conceded quite late. So it would have been a big turnaround, uh, at least in terms of the emotions and uh, sort of the mentality that you could have talked up. And a point is not bad, but it still leaves them in trouble, especially 
since the bottom team, by far the worst team in the league, Paderborn, won with a last-minute goal away to Werder Bremen on Sunday. So now a lot more pressure on the likes of Mainz and Köln uh, and even Hertha as far as avoiding the drop is concerned. Okay, next up, City A. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Greg Lipari, or Lipari, is Lazio a legitimate contender for the Scudetto? I think they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is a team that has been very good all season, um, in, in the league at least. Um, and I think one of the reasons why they've suffered in the Europa League is they're fed up of being in that composition year in, year out. Uh, it takes nothing away from the results that Celtic have got uh, against them. But I remember match day one, um, they went away to Samp and they completely blew them away 3-0. Now, you know, we now know that Samp are not up to all that much. But already then I thought, this team means business. Um, the players who had had very good seasons the season before last and then had their heads turned and thought they were going to get big moves. We'll talk about Milinkovic, Savic and uh, Luis Alberto. They've seemed to have got over that now um, and are back to their best. And Luis Alberto, 11 assists in the league already this season. The combination between him and Milinkovic, I mean, you saw it on the second goal uh, against Juventus. Zidane-like, I think, from uh, Milinkovic, uh, the way he brings that down with his right and finishes same move uh, with his left. Um, I think it's a mature team as well. I think, as with Atalanta, this is a side that has had the same coach for a long time now, more or less the same group of players. Um, They know what they're about. um, And as with Atalanta, they're a side that can beat anyone in in Italy. do they have the depth, the resources of Inter and Juventus? No. What, what happens if Milinkovic Savic or Immobile or Luis Alberto or gets yeah gets injured? What you know? What do you do then? That's, or Correa even? Correa. Or if there's a move in January for one of them? I can't see any of them leaving in January. Um, I think the last sort of big name player at Lazio to leave in January was Hernanes. Okay. So I can't see anyone leaving in, in in January. What I would say about all of those players is that they've shown over the last three or four years that you can depend on them physically. None of them have had yeah. bad injuries, serious yeah, injuries, which of course doesn't mean something bad might happen, but they've been really impressive and they're just scoring lots and lots and lots of goals. This was the curious thing about the game against Juventus on uh, on Saturday night is is that whereas once upon a time it was uh, Bonucci and Chiellini who were Italy's um, centre-back partnership. Obviously Chiellini's out at the moment with his his, his knee blowout, but Acerbi is the guy who's playing beside Bonucci for the for the national team. Acerbi's been the guy who's been part of that Italy defence that has won 11 straight games uh, under Roberto Mancini. So right from goalkeeper defence, midfield strikers... It's a very good side. Um, and I suppose they'll be fingers crossed hoping that Inter get through in the Champions League. Juventus are already through in the Champions League. That Atalanta go through in the Champions League. Because if they're not in the Europa League and they can just concentrate exclusively on the league, then I think you have to take them seriously. All right, Lazio, who are currently third in the Europa League group. They're at Rennes and they need basically Celtic to beat Cluj and they need to beat Rennes 
And we'll see. But, yeah, you're not sure how much their heart's in it. In the meantime, I'm just going to say, Saturday, 3-1 over Juventus, Mm. beating the old lady, the first defeat for Juve of the season. It could have been more as well. Chesney with uh, saving a penalty from Chido Immobile. That's the first time that Lazio have beaten Juve at the Olympico for 16 years, just to put that in a bit of perspective. And this is the thing that Lazio keep doing. They won at San Siro against Milan for the first time in 30 years earlier in the season. And if you look at this eight-year stretch um, that Juventus have been the dominating team in Serie A, they're the only side to have won the silverware. They've won the Coppa Italia, they've won the Super Cup, and they've done it without Cragnotti money, without Cragnotti signings. Um, And... Simone Inzaghi, I mean, he was in the conversation to replace Massimiliano Allegri for a reason. He's not the sexiest kind of appointment in terms of does he have a grand vision, in terms of does he have a buzzword that goes with his kind of managerial kind of ethos? No, Um, but he gets results and he's got trophies. All right. He also burped in your face once, James. He did, yeah. (laughs) You know, comes with the territory. Front lines of journalism. Anyway, um, let's rewind then to Friday night. Uh, and indeed, Friday morning, Inter taking on Roma at San Siro. The game was to finish nil-nil. But the day started with the Corriere della Sport. This extraordinary headline that you may well have seen on social media. There was a picture of Chris Smalling and uh, Romelu Lukaku. And in the middle was the words Black Friday, which uh, led to condemnation from the players, condemnation from various clubs and pretty much everyone internationally. Yeah, clubs who... In AS Roma and AC Milan's case, banned Corriere the Sport for, for three weeks from uh, coming to the training ground to report. Now, a lot of people reading this were, were, were just stunned that a national newspaper could produce a headline like that. Mm. Corriere de la Sport was stunned that anyone thought that there was anything wrong with it. Yes, I think uh, the following day, they, the headline on the front page was, Who You Calling Racist? Ivan Zazeroni, who is the, um, well, he's not just a kind of sports editor, he, he's a judge on uh, Italy's Strictly Come Dancing. Uh, he's very much seen as a bit of a showman. Um, he uh, went on the radio and said, you know, how can you have this opinion about us? And it was very much kind of old middle-aged white people telling black people like Chris Smalling and Roman right. Lukaku what's racist and what's not, which <laughs> is pretty extraordinary. Well, they, they, the Corriere also made a big thing of the fact that this headline was actually, they, they saw it as a, a pro-integrationist uh, article. They said that this was basically their attack on racism for people to see them in turn as racist was all wrong. But if you actually read the article, all that there is, is this, the, this first line of it basically says, in the face of idiots who do boos at these players, tomorrow we should all go, ooh, like kids do, uh, because it's going to be a great Black Friday. Basically, they were just using it for a cheap pun about yeah. the commercial occasion and Black Friday. I, I think another example to to tie this in with, James, is the joke Massimo Cellino made oh. about Mario Balotelli. Um, yeah, again, these are uh, white sort of guys in their 50s and 60s um, who've probably made these jokes all their lives, had people laugh at them, and they still think it's absolutely okay to go about and say these things, or in this case, uh, suggest this would be a great front page headline. Mm. It goes through the sub editors, or the yeah, and it gets essentially it gets published like that. It's extraordinary, and I think in some respects it does it, it really does reflect an institutional racism um, there um, in in how people go about approaching this subject and deciding 
what's offensive or not yeah. for the people who are offended by this, which is just, you know, pretty extraordinary. Well, Cody did a doubling down every day since, pretty much, yep. saying uh, we're the enemies of racism. Mm-hmm. And basically, they've just made this the front page I mean, every day. I mean, I've mentioned this before. There are, there are a number of clubs in Italy, particularly the foreign-owned ones like Milan, Roma, Fiorentina, um, Inter, who um, want to take leadership on this um, because the league isn't doing anything about it. The league is prioritising the battle against piracy. Why? Because the TV companies in the country are the ones that are really essentially the guys who are paying for the product and saying this is a priority for us so make it priority for you and the clubs that mean well and want to want to seriously tackle this just feel they can never get ahead of the story every two or three days it's not every weekend every two or three days there's a new story like this Mm. um and it's luckily the league so the chief executive has a solution which is switch the microphones off so no one can hear the yeah yeah, I mean, that, that, and this was this was this was the what the Wednesday, the the Black Friday headline came out on the Friday, so it's been a week of mm. um, of just one racist story after after another. Um, how tone deaf and insensitive um, the people who should be tackling this and have a responsibility and a moral obligation to take this on are really failing the players who play in their league, mm. make the, the the product as they call it um, a good product. They're doing nothing to protect them. I think we've reached a tipping point after, I mean, let's, let's face it, James, decades of this now. I think we've reached a tipping point where I think black players can legitimately say, you know, if they're off, offered the chance to go to, no, I don't want to go and play there. Uh, was I mean, interesting, Enia Luko recently leaving Juve, inciting very much that atmosphere. She said everything was great at the club, but she was tired of feeling like a, a shoplifter every time she went into a store in Turin. Yeah, she did say that. She, she, she also did want to, to make it clear that it wasn't the only reason mm. that she was leaving. Because I think she felt that that story had been spun okay. very much into uh, into making it feel like her decision was only made because of that kind of atmosphere that she she found in Turin. Um, but I think she was very clear that she also wanted a new challenge. She felt that she'd won everything that she had at Juventus. Um, but no, it is definitely a factor, James. Un- undoubtedly so. Elsewhere, awkward scenes at Brescia as Eugenio Corini, who they'd fired four weeks before, came back and promptly ended their losing streak. A 1-0 win away at Spal, with Mario Balotelli scoring the goal. Yeah, Balotelli, who had been told in the week, um, look, Mario, if this isn't working out, you can go. Once the January transfer window uh, opens. Um, and when he scored this goal, which was the, the only goal of the game, he was asked uh, about, you know, oh, Mario, maybe you'll get into the Italy squad now. The Euros are coming up. And he was just like... Uh, well, to be honest, I'm just focusing on on keeping my team up, keeping pressure up. Um, and I would say that indicates that he would like to see out the rest of the season uh, with them. Very good. How's about a bit of league 1, Jules? Yes. All right, then. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Jules, what's going on with Bakayoko? Well, he, uh, as you know, went back to uh, to Monaco on loan yes. this season, uh, wearing the number six now on his shirt. But when he had his first spell at the club, when they had that incredible team and won the league, etc., he used to wear number 14. So on Saturday, when Monaco were playing at Amiens and they were winning and everything was great, and when Bakayoko turned around and saw there was a substitution about to be made with the number 14 on the board, 
he thought, oh, okay, it's an early shower for me, no problem. So he's starting running towards the touchline. <laughs> but obviously, wearing the number six, that was not him. That's going to be substituted. Leonardo Jardim was looking at him and said, like, what is he doing? Why is he coming towards me? And it took a bit of time for Bakaroko to realise that that was his own number and not him. So he stayed on the pitch and, and Monaco won 3-0. Yeah, and very nice indeed. Um, I don't know, maybe when you're in that game... yeah. And you focus on the game, you don't... I, I don't know. I'm surprised this hasn't happened before, actually. You know, because you yeah. get used to, you know, your number. Anyway, uh, three wins in four now for Leonardo Jardim. They're coming out. For the first time in 18 months, they're in the top, the top half of the table. Ooh. Because they've had, obviously, those crazy months and weeks where they were playing so badly, they were fighting against relegation. And the Jardim the first time, then Thierry Henry, and then Jardim again. And then finally, they see the end of the tunnel, mostly because of... With Sam Benier there, who's the, the league top scorer with 11 goals, he really has been incredible. And Sevilla is missing him so much mm. because uh, Javier Hernández and uh, De Jong, they are simply not scoring. And Benyeder was averaging around 20 goals per season. They don't have that anymore. Uh, three wins in a row for Ren, who will be hosting Lazio Thursday night. Six wins in a row for André villas Burch's Marseille who are now six points clear of Lille. Yeah, in second place. Mm. Great. I mean, we talked about him last week. He's doing an incredible job, not just making that team play with a bit more intensity and with a bit more structure than they had, especially last season with Rudy Garcia, but also in his man management with the players, which is something that before when he was at Chelsea and, and Spurs, maybe because he was so young and he had players in his dressing room older than him, he was struggling a bit. We, we all heard those stories about Chelsea players or Spurs players you know, making fun of him or at least having all those those stories about him. And it seems that now he's 42, he's clearly more mature as well. He has a different kind of relationship with his dressing room and the way he has completely changed the, the career of someone like Jordan Amavi, for example, who used to be dreadful last year at Marseille, literally so bad. And now he has been playing really well the last, I don't know, two months easily mm-hmm. due to how Villas-Boas has spoken to him and, and sort of like worked with him to make him go back to his best level. Same with Payet, same with a lot of other players who on paper not that good. Even Strutman in many respects has put a very good, good performances in the last few weeks. So he's doing some miracles in a way with this squad and this team and, and they deserve to be where they are because they, they are right now they, they play better football than PSG for example right. without a shadow of a doubt five points between them Jules could it happen? so PSG have a game in hand against right. Monaco to play on January the 15th in Monaco so it's not given that they will win considering Monaco's form so I think it could happen definitely and Marseille let's not forget have no European Cup to play in PSG are hoping that you know the Champions League experience this season will last a bit longer than the last three seasons wow. when it stopped early. So I think it, you know it, it could happen. PSG won on Saturday at Montpellier in a in a strange game where they were dominated for 70 minutes. Montpellier were one 0 up, then they had a player sent off, and then PSG turned things around. Neymar scored an incredible free kick and then gave an assist to Kylian Mbappe. I think the PSG expected goals for that game that they won three one was just one. It was less than Montpellier. Montpellier had better expected goals. They had more shots, more shots on target. And for 70 minutes, there was nothing in the PSG's game, in the performance. They were really struggling to create anything. And, and it's only the fact that they were 11 against 10 and that the three up front, Icardi scoring again, Mbappé and Neymar, were just so good when they were 11 against 10 that they, they turned the game around. But I, I'm a bit worried on how this team is playing, especially when Verratti is not there because he's the one providing so much creativity. But... Because his fitness is so unpredictable, mm. 
and I'm not going to go again into his lifestyle or anything. But you know, it is been playing one, missing two, playing one, playing two, missing one, missing two, that kind of thing. It's it's really hard, and I think the lack of collectiveness and collective fluidity is a big issue. I think. Okay, more lifestyle news from you very shortly when we get onto that Valbuena. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Benzema business. Jordan Lever says, for Julien, has there been any coverage in France about Auxerre's Coupe de France shock defeat to a team from the 8th division? you got eight yeah. divisions in France. Didn't you More used to play that. for Auxerre, Jules? No. You yeah. not have, like, youth trials there? No. That's an noble legend. Yeah. Could this be considered as one of the biggest cup shocks ever in France? Not ever. We have we've had those. We have those regularly. The magic of the cup in but France. But eighth division. Yeah, eighth division is slow. I mean, Lens lost against a fifth division team yesterday on Sunday. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so it happens a lot. And I, I'll be quick on this. But the the interesting thing is that the French academies, as well as they're doing, also have a lot of players they release. And mm. those players, instead of stopping football completely, right. go into teams between fifth and ninth or tenth division because they still want to play football. Often they've got their mates in those teams and they take it as a bit of fun and they work alongside as well to, right. earn, to earn a living. But Postman, that makes... electricians. Yeah, yeah anything. Thing. But like, he makes like those teams... A bit like Red Star, <laughs> but great. Stephen Warnock, <laughs> if you're listening to us. But no, more seriously, he makes those teams between fifth and eighth division very, yeah. very strong. Okay. Are, are stronger than what they should be, really. So that's why they're so competitive in the cup. Th- those upsets happen a lot in France. There you go. After this, La Liga. Alibar, you told us about Barcelona 5-2 against Mallorca. Real Madrid keeping pace with them at the top. Why were they wearing a lime green kit? Because the Climate Summit happened in Madrid last ah. weekend. Yeah, and Greta Thunberg was there, the Swedish girl. And uh, Real Madrid wanted to support the, the coach. So right. that's why they did it. And appropriate enough, they were on fire as they uh, downed Espanyol 2-0. <laughs> Uh, although Eden Hazard uh, apparently picking up a micro fracture of his leg yeah, and out of the Clásico then. He keeps missing the Clásico and uh, there are also reports that he may miss the Spanish Super Cup, which happens in the beginning of January. Right, which is more important, the Clásico, no? Definitely, yes. Yeah. Definitely, yes. Especially so because in Real Madrid and Barcelona were, are level on points mm. uh, at the top of La Liga table. thing is that Eden Hazard last Saturday was wearing crutches. Still, so if you are on crutches ten days before El Clásico, you are—it's impossible. He's not going to play that game, and Real Madrid is losing uh, the player who was in, in the best form from the whole team because uh, against PSG it was very obvious that Eden Hazard was back at his Chelsea best, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult difficult moment for for the player because he was uh, finally uh, managing to live up to the expectations. It's not that Real Madrid doesn't have replacements, right. but not replacements of that quality. In fact, Real Madrid has probably 10 players who can play in the top three or in the upfront positions. Uh, the likes of uh, Rodrigo, Vinicius, Jovic, Asensio, who is out, out with an injury. Uh, there are so many. Lucas Vázquez as well. But obviously no one offers the quality and the, the deep passes and the ability of Eden Hazard. All that said, they, they beat Espanyol comfortably uh, with goals from two French players like uh, Rafael Baran and Karim Benzema. Yeah. Both of them playing very well, and Karim Benzema, really, sometimes he got a lot of critics uh, because he wasn't able to score many goals, uh, or at least like score half the tally of Cristiano Ronaldo, but since Cristiano Ronaldo left, he has scored 45 goals for Real Madrid, 
which is uh, pretty good. It's more than Harry Kane uh, in that period of time. It's more than uh, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah in that period of time to, you know, to compare him with some other top um, goal scorers. And uh, Espanyol uh, is uh, at the minute bottom of the table after this defeat. But uh, I was really surprised about the lack of respect for Espanyol the whole weekend. Uh, ahead of the game, in the press conference, uh, a journalist asked Zinedine Zidane if playing against Espanyol didn't feel like a, too much of a small game for Real Madrid. Referring to the Super League that Florentino Pérez and uh, some other club owners or presidents they are plotting to, to create. So that was the first lack of respect for a club like Espanyol that we shouldn't forget that since the Bosman uh, ruling came into effect, exactly, Espanyol is one of the five teams that haven't been relegated. The likes of Sevilla, Atletico, they have been relegated uh, during the last 24, 25 years. Espanyol has been always there. So they are doing something good. Mm. And they've been for a quarter of a century in the top flight. And then during the, the game against uh, Espanyol, uh, a very famous radio show uh, tweeted a picture of Diego López um, oh, yeah. Before his hair transplant and after his hair transplant, uh, saying, well, uh, for those who have thinning hair, there is a solution. Right. And Diego Lopez reacted to that after the game. That is what I like about it, because he reacted very nicely. He was a Real Madrid player as well. And he said, look, value me for my work. It's pitiful that somebody, while I'm playing, is tweeting about these things, especially uh, from a very famous radio show that uh, wasn't before characterized for making this kind of uh, jokes. Okay, they were talking about football and no more than that. Why was he so upset about them tweeting pictures of his head before and after the transplant? I mean, people do that, no? Yeah, but but it wasn't. It was a radio station, right? Reporting about the game. Yes. And while they were doing the live ah, report the of the game, they were saying, in the commentary, yeah. they were just uh, reporting about Diego Lopez's hair uh, transplant, which happened, by the way, yes. a couple of years ago. It right. happened yesterday. Okay. So Diego Lopez was upset about it. It's Sometimes like, it takes a couple of years. They might have just been saying, you know. It's remarkable, isn't it? You look at him now yeah. and think of how he was two years ago. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's fair enough. No? You'd never make jokes yeah. about that, would you? I, <laughs> no, but the, the thing is that Diego, Diego López, probably, probably Espanol players weren't happy already with media, and right. especially with this cadena ser. Okay. Uh, before the game, they, right. were ask, they were asking Zidane right. whether the game was too small whether for Real Madrid. Whether he should get a transplant as well, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the question. Um, things are getting a little bit uncomfortable in the pod, so I'm just going to move on at this point. Uh, oh, Joachim, you mentioned this at the start, becoming the oldest player in La Liga history to score a hat-trick in La Liga uh, against, oh, your side, Athletic Milbao. Yeah, and, uh, well, he, he was very good and fair play to him. Mm. I mean, he he's 38 years old and... Uh, his uh, contract is running out in uh, June 2020, so let's see if he gets another contract extension. It looks like he will, even though he doesn't have an agent, and uh, he will have to arrange this contract himself. But yeah, what is more remarkable about, about Joaquin, more than the hat-trick, is how physically strong he is at the age of uh, 38. I mean, he is a player naturally really gifted, uh, physically speaking, because he, he's strong and he's powerful and he's quick. Is this longevity and, and <laughs> peak physical fitness what? down to the nutrition he received as, yeah. a, as a child? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joaquin received breastfeeding until, oh, yeah. until he, was, he was seven years old. What? What? Yes. That's not true. I don't believe Yes, yes, yes. I but don't this, this, that. Sto- this, story, this story was published many years ago and obviously broke again because he scored the hat trick but uh, Joaquin is, is a proper character mm. in Spain I mean he tells jokes 
he he tells a lot of jokes. Yes, he's, he's, a, he's always joking. He's always joking. <laughs> he's a social media star in Spain. And players with that kind of character, normally you tend to think that at the age of 30, 31, they will abandon themselves in a way and uh, not care anymore. But uh, he has behaved very professionally all his career. He has won titles in few clubs he has been, for example, in Valencia. Mm. Uh, he, he won a cup with Betis in 2005, which is really remarkable considering the the magnitude of uh, Betis as a club in the last 20 years. He wasn't that big of a team. And uh, yeah, it was a full credit for him. I mean, he, he is not only one of these players that uh, everyone in Spain like, but he's also an entertainer. And there are a couple of clips of Joaquin that are hilarious. Uh, and you can find them in YouTube. One of them is talking about the fight between Valencia and Inter de Milan in oh, 2007 yeah. because he, he he was in there oh, and, yeah. and he came back home uh, with the scratches in his face and in the press conference a couple of days later he explained uh, that his wife didn't believe that he was in a football game <laughs> that he was somewhere else right and and yeah there is a, there are a couple of gags of Joaquin uh, also with Julio Baptista so okay. he's uh, oh, he's a lovely character yeah Time for us now to get some odds uh, on the likes of Salzburg's European chances, Gladbach's title ambitions and the limits for Lazio, courtesy of Paddy Power with producer Ben. Dankeschön, and Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line to talk European odds. Lee, all eyes on Austria in the Champions League. Can Salzburg do it? Can they beat Liverpool? <laughs> well, we at Paddy Power like the easy life. So to save yourself dusting off your abacus and working out all the permutations and trying a bit on that, we have a very simple market here that could help you. It's called to qualify from Group E. Napoli are 1 to 200 in that, Liverpool 1 to 5, and Salzburg clearly the outsiders at 11 to 4. Liverpool the odds on favourites to win the group at 8 to 13, or if you do want to bet on winning margin, it's 9 to 1 that Salzburg beat Liverpool by two goals. All right, Lee, let's move on to Germany. And we've asked this question before, but after what happened at Borussia Park this weekend, surely Gladbach must be favourites for the Bundesliga this season. Yeah, surely, surely, and yet surely not. We still make Bayern Munich the odds-on favourites to win the league in Germany at 4-7. to seven. How enlightened of us. And Gladbach aren't second in our betting, or even third. They're the 11-1 to fourth favourites in our book behind Leipzig and Dortmund. And finally to Italy, after seven wins in a row, what's the limit for Lazio? How far can they go in Serie A? Well, they're odds on to finish in the top four now. Uh, the odds of them doing that are one to three, so we're really backing them there. A title challenge, though, looks a bigger ask. It's 14 to one they win Serie A. We think it's a two-horse race with Inter ahead of Juve in our book, as they are on the table. Perhaps we should be grateful for two horses in that race for the first time in very many years. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. All right, Jules. Andrew Kane wants to know, what's the key to Lille's success after their summer of selling? But that's not nearly as interesting as that sex tape business. So let's talk about that instead. <laughs> let's talk about that instead. Mm. Remember 2015, yep. uh, Mathieu Valbuena is blackmailed by some people mm. um, about a sex tape that they would have that was on his former phone that someone got the phone and they asked him... So he'd recorded on his own phone and then somebody got his phone. Yes. It turned out that it was some of Karim Benzema's friends. So Karim Benzema found himself involved because he had also spoken to Mathieu Valbuena saying to him, they've got the video, sort it out with yep. them, basically. So... 
Karim Benzema was dropped into the case uh, of him and his friend blackmailing Mathieu Valbuena to get money against the video, basically. That's that's what he went down to. Uh, Karim Benzema's lawyers believe that there was um, a problem in the investigation from the French police. So uh-huh. they tried to have the case thrown out right. due to the investigation. And today on Monday, when we record this, the court of uh, cassation in, in France, which is one of the four courts of last resort in France, I've rejected basically Benzema's appeal right. on on the case being thrown out. So there will be a trial probably next year. And the vol- trial of these friends of Benzema, but also Benzema. Himself, he's also yeah. he's charged with what, blackmail? Yeah, Extortion? so there's recording of him speaking so there's there's recording of him speaking to his friends saying that he spoke to Mathieu Valbuena when they were together with the national team in twenty fifteen. Right. A Clairefontaine, yes. where they had an party and Karim Benzema spoke to Valbuena about it. And you would think about saying to Valbuena, if you give them money, they will destroy the video. That's the idea, I think. Yeah. That's why the case of blackmail has been retained against Karim Benzema and his mates. And obviously, in terms of football-wise, that this was the, the beginning of the end for Karim Benzema in the national team and Mathieu Valbuena as well, to a certain extent. But now, now that I think Karim Benzema really believed for a long time that the case would be thrown out and he would never hear about it again, ever again. Now, this was obviously bringing it all back in Wow. on the public eye and there will be a, a very public trial I think on, on what happened and I mean it's a serious charge as well really potentially jail time too yeah and at a time where Karen Benzema is doing so well with Real Madrid yeah. one of the best strikers in the world this yeah. season this is all coming back when he wow. really really didn't think he would and what is the key to Lille's success after the summer of <laughs> <summer? laughs> yeah it's an important question the way they reinvested the money right and the players that they bought Ozyman uh, Renato Sanchez Benjamin André in midfield and then the emergence of younger players like uh, Bubakari Sumare in midfield have made that team very competitive again. Brilliant. Very it's nice. That, it's a shame we're going to leave a, most of them next summer and they will have to start all over again. Wow. Champions League then awaits Tuesday and Wednesday. Hopefully you'll be joining us. But we'll be back with another European edition of the Sony Football Show next Tuesday. So I do hope you join us for that. Many thanks to Alvaro, James, Rafa and Julian and you listener. Have yourselves a great week. Speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Totally Football Show.